What is it like to be the chief of police when the trekking convoy comes to town? Hi, this is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Russell, Ontario, Canada. Hey, listen to Canadian Intelligence, eh? I'm recording this at just after 1.30 on the 1st of February, 2022. And as I noted in my introduction, I live in Russell, which is a small village south of Ottawa, but I spent 40 years in the nation's capital. I certainly have uh, seen my share of demonstrations on Parliament Hill in various parts of the city, people with various voices that they want to have heard, various issues, various contentious things they want to protest about. And I've always wondered about what it's like to be on the other side, i.e. law enforcement and protective services that have to deal with these situations to ensure that nothing stupid happens. And so in this regard, I have reached out and and, am very grateful that I've been able to track down Charles Bordelow, who was the former chief of Ottawa Police, to help walk us through what happens when these types of things take place. So, Charles, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure, Phil. Good to see you. Let's start off with a bit about your background, Charles. You were the chief of police in Ottawa from 2012 to 2019, but your career in policing is almost as old as my career in intelligence. I started in 83, you started in 84, so walk us through what it was like to be a cop for all those years. Now now I feel really old, Phil. Thank you very much. (laughs) So uh, I was uh, I was born and raised in Ottawa and uh, loved this city. And uh, after uh, finishing my university at the University of Ottawa, got my Bachelor of Administration, I joined the uh, then Gloucester Police uh, Force. Ah, the old uh, Gloucester Police, yeah. That's right, in 1984. And uh, my father-in-law, my now father-in-law, happened to be uh, the chief of police back then. He had uh, he had come over from uh, Ottawa Police and uh, became the chief in, in 1982. So I joined uh, in 84 and, uh, like everybody else, started on patrol and uh, worked the uh, the rural part of Gloucester. That's the, the Leitrim out of the Leitrim station yep. uh, in the uh, making sure cows didn't go on the road and uh, <laughs> lots of lots of traffic enforcement and uh, repair drivers uh, in, in that area. Then uh, throughout my career, progressed at, uh, in different areas and different sections. And uh, then in 97, uh, we all amalgamated. Into That's right. The, Nepean uh, Police, Gloucester Police, Ottawa Police, yep. Yeah, we became the Ottawa Carlton Regional Police Service, which at the time was uh, was difficult because we were losing our identity as a Gloucester. We were only we were only about uh, 190 people, so you're joining this larger uh, uh, police service, and uh, it felt like a, a takeover from Ottawa police. From Ottawa police, mm-hmm. but then uh, in the in the long run, I think I think it, it worked out. So we became the Regional Police Service in '97, and then in 2000. Uh, regional government and municipal governments collapsed and it became the new city of Ottawa. So we then became the, the auto police service uh, in 2000, rebranded again. So I, I worked in, like I said, patrol. Uh, I worked in our communication center. I had some experience in detectives uh, earlier on in my career uh, in the youth section, media relations. So I had a, a fairly broad general approach uh, to, pol- to policing and then uh, really interested me as far as moving up the ranks and uh, going for uh, for promotions so i was successful in that perspective and then uh, later on uh, i think about 2010 i was promoted to a superintendent and i was in charge of our what we call emergency operations and mm-hmm. that's the area that uh, has all the toys because you've got your tactical <laughs> unit your bomb unit and all those things uh, but it's also responsible for uh, for managing major events and major demonstrations right. taking right. place and uh, as you well know being the nation's capital, uh, we are the host of hundreds of yes. uh, demos, uh, small to large, on a on a yearly basis. 
so got involved in, in those uh, demonstrations that a superintendent, I, I was uh, the incident commander for, uh, for the Obama visits when he came to, uh, to Ottawa. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was very interesting. Was was there on the floor when he decided to go from Parliament Hill <laughs> to the market to buy his uh, to buy his cookie? And uh, I was uh, shocked and surprised <laughs> when the uh, the guy from the Secret Service, which who was in the command post with us, all of a sudden got up and said, "The president, who was currently uh, on Parliament Hill, said he wants to go to the market." <laughs> and I, I turned to to beside me and I looked at the uh, my my counterpart, the RCMP, and. You sort of have a, ch- a few choice words and say, what, what does he, what's he really want to do? And, uh, okay, let's start planning this. And he said, you know, would you want to go in an hour, two hours? He says, no, he's going in five minutes. Oh, my God. So that's, we had five minutes to plan for uh, the president of the United States to go from uh, Parliament Hill. We didn't know exactly where he wanted to go in the market, but the Secret Service guys somehow, I think, knew and staked out the location then before. Wow. But didn't tell us. So anyways, we uh, fortunately, but because of good planning, we had a bus full of OPP officers on standby to deal with any potential new uh, new site identification areas. So we moved them uh, right into the market. They secured the area and uh, President Obama was able to uh, do his photo op with the, with the famous Obama cookie. A, so, a few gray uh, hairs that day, Charles. Perhaps a few, a few uh, <laughs> less, a few less hairs, and now a few, uh, a few more gray hairs. Yes, but it was fun. You know, you you train for that, and it it was. Uh, you talk about major events. That's what you're 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 trained for. You bring people together, and there's a certain uh, sense of accomplishment when things go really well. Uh, but there's also risks associated with things not going as well as as you planned. But right. uh, that's that's the job, and that's what I, I enjoy. I enjoy that when I was a superintendent, and then then uh, became a deputy chief uh, under uh, Chief uh, Chief White, mm-hmm. and then um, you know I thought I was going to retire as the deputy chief after having thirty years on, uh, but then uh, I got a call. I was in Florida and on holidays, and I got a, ch- a call from Chief White uh, in uh, December twenty eleven, and said I've been uh, I've been I got a call from. Uh, Prime Minister Harper, and uh, I've been uh, I'm being appointed to the Senate, so I'll oh, be leading wow. police. In. So I said, "Wow, how how could how the world changes in in, in one phone call?" Mm-hmm. Uh, because he had just renewed his contract and was going to retire, mm-hmm. I think, later on in 2017. So I said, "I'm done. I'm good." Uh, but so so then I said, "Okay, I, I I think I can make a difference as a chief of police, and uh, I really want to make my mark, and I want to lead, help lead the, the auto police service, the great men and women of the police service." And uh, so I competed for the process and uh, for the posting and then uh, got the job in March. So two months later, I became the, the chief of police and served uh, for seven years as, as, uh, as, as leader of this great organization. Well, thank you. As a former Ottawaan and now Russellite, Rustler, I'm not sure what I call myself. Thank you for our service to the city. You know, you talked about major events, Charles, and the fact that this is what you prepare for. You prepare for the worst case scenario. And I can imagine that uh, this so-called truckers convoy and the assorted elements that have been sort of dragged in as well and have, have latched onto this convoy <clears> for all kinds of other agendas is uh, it's a fairly major event. It's pretty well shut down the downtown capital, uh, downtown of the capital for the past three or four days now. One thing that really struck me of interest was that Chief Peter Slowly, so Peter Slowly is the new chief of police. He said that he has brought in other help from other forces across the province. How does that happen? Do you just pick up the phone, the phone and say, call the chief of London police or Kitchener in Toronto and say, hey, Bill, um, we're having a major event. We think we might need some help. Can you spare some officers? Is it as easy as that? 
It is actually uh, because of the relationship that we've built over the years. Um, so that's something that uh, as chief I did as well. We uh, called upon uh, York, Durham, London, Toronto, uh, obviously the RCMP and OPP, uh, and mainly focusing on the, their crowd management teams. And uh, you use those because they, they, they use the same approach, the same tactics as your own unit. Uh, so they work well and they've trained before together at a provincial level. Uh, so yes, you 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 pick up the phone and you say, uh, uh, "Chief, I, I need your help," uh, and then it, it goes from there. As far as your then your staff will negotiate exactly what what exactly they need and when they need it, and uh, then you have the resources coming into town. Wow, I mean, so in other words, the relationships you build up over time enable you to do that. And, and likewise, if they had a major event in Toronto or Hamilton or Windsor, they could equally pick up the phone and say, Charles, we've got this thing happening. Can you spare some of your officers to help us? Yeah, and that's happened before. I remember going to, to Kingston to help with their frost week and their homecoming. Uh, mm-hmm. We had officers from Ottawa and the P and Gloucester supporting Kingston. So this, this type of thing happens on a regular basis. It happens more often in Ottawa because of the uh, the sheer size of, of right. the demonstration. And we're fairly isolated in Ottawa in Eastern Ontario. So you don't have access to, uh, you know, Kingston uh, and and Cornwall. They're great police services, but they don't have the, the, the large infrastructure to be able to support such a, such a big ask. So we rely on, on the, uh, the OPP, uh, the RCMP who are here locally, but the, the GTA who have access to those types right. of resources. Uh, it's happened a, a number of times where as chief, I've had to call upon uh, their assistance and they, they, they're, they've been, uh, they're great to deal with. Well, it's nice to know it works that way. Now, when we were talking the other day, Charles, I, we were trying to figure out exactly how and when you and I had met and you recall me being at CSIS and, and coming to Ottawa Police. And if, there were, if I remember the words correctly, scaring the bejesus out of people with something that I said, I don't really recall the words at the time. But there is, of course, that interesting relationship between intelligence at CSIS and law enforcement, be it the RCMP, OPP, Sûreté de Québec or Ottawa Police. How do you, how do you handle intelligence? You know, those, those of us who worked in the spy business, of course, we want to protect the information, we want to protect the sources and the methods, but... Sitting on intelligence that may be crucial to making decisions, of course, is 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 it is a it's a non-starter. You have to share the information. How do you use that information in a day-to-day basis in ways that make make your job easier, but also satisfy the fears of the security services that something might go awry? Yeah, that's always a challenge, and I I think that in Canada, the the relationship between intelligence agencies like CSIS. Uh, RCMP dealing with national security on their front investigations and local police services has evolved over the years and it's evolved in a, in a positive way. So there is a lot more willingness to work collectively together to share that type of information. And, and as, as a chief of police for, for, for when I was there, for me, it, it, the importance was, so you've got this piece of intelligence uh, and let's say it's around a threat that may be happening in your community. How does that translate to the front line? And how does that translate to, to the community? And recognizing that you can't share where you got it from, what, is it, what are the specifics, how do, you, how do you manage that and navigate taking pieces of information to be able to make sure your front line uh, are aware of any potential threats and that they're prepared for it and that you're able to, to respond? Because the last thing you want and it's happened before, is when you know intelligence agencies have this information or a threat that takes place, 
the incident does take place and you've got your local municipal police policers that has had no clue of, right. of what what that information was or they weren't able they weren't able to action it so how do you translate that uh, how do you navigate those waters so that your front line and i don't think it's just your front line you know we there are, there are people around public safety that are you know your paramedics your firefighters that are out there on a daily basis that could it could also be impacted by that potential threat or that intel piece of intelligence uh, that's coming in. So in Ottawa, we, we figured out a way to be able to, to better navigate that so that our first responders don't get blindsided uh, by uh, uh, event, an event or a piece of information that's come in. Now, do you think that given this the national capital, and therefore you have uh, elements or incidents or potential bad things happening, maybe more so because of the capital, as well as the fact that as the capital, that's also where CSIS is headquarters, where the RCMP is headquartered. Do you think that this evolution in the relationship between intelligence services and law enforcement was made easier because of those facts? And by the way, I agree with you. We were terrible decades ago at not sharing intelligence with, with first responders because we wanted to hide behind our screens. But did it, the fact that you were in Ottawa, you think it made it any easier? I think it did because you're, you're in Ottawa, you know, surprise, surprise, even within uh, the police community, we don't, we didn't always play in the same sandbox. Right. So whether it be the RCMP, uh, the, uh, the the police that were on the, the Hill at the time, the Senate security, and then the House of Commons security, the OPP, and then you got the military police. Mm-hmm. We didn't always get along. But I think at a, at a certain point in time, uh, before I became, way before I became chief, I think it started under Chief Bevan, that there was a realization, listen, we, we, we can't go on this way. We have to build those relationships of trust. We have to work closer together uh, because uh, we will continue to have events take place in the nation's capital. And uh, the, the outcome uh, of, a, of an incident going south because we didn't communicate, we didn't play well together, uh, that is far has far-reaching consequences. So we, we we figured out a long time ago that we have to work together, and I think it is because of the frequency of events and mm-hmm. the, the 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 jurisdictional complications that take place in, in Ottawa uh, around who does what and where, mm-hmm. uh, especially around Parliament Hill. And we even ran into those around uh, when 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 the corporate and the, Corporal Nathan Cirillo got, got right, murdered at the Cenotaph. There was some confusion at the beginning. There was a lot of confusion at the beginning uh, as far as the response. But <clears throat> with respect to, <clears throat> okay, this happened uh, on, on the war memorial. National security uh, could be involved. What is their role? Uh, so we had to navigate through as far as, okay, yes, this is an RCMP investigation with respect to, it's a, it's a threat. There was a threat against the federal government, part of the Hill, so they need to assume responsibility and carriage of the investigation. But when does that handover take place? So, so the challenge that the, the, the those types of events aren't frequent. So you're you're trying to uh, navigate through and understand who does what. But I think because we've we've worked together, we've built our relationships together, we know each other. Uh, it, it's a lot easier. Uh, and I always remember a, a quote by Commissioner Fantino from the uh, from the OPP. He says that, you know, you don't start exchanging business card uh, at, a, at a critical incident. You have right. to you have to do that way beforehand. 
Right. Just for my listeners who aren't as familiar with the situation here in Canada, what Chief Bortles referring to was an attack by Michael Sahapibo on October the 22nd, 2014, where he approached uh, the War Memorial National Cenotaph in downtown Ottawa. He killed Nathan Cirillo, who was a corporal on honor guard at the time, and then fled to Parliament Hill and got as far as the center block before he was killed by parliamentary police. And I do recall, Charles, uh, in the aftermath of that, a lot of People saying, could it have been done better? You know, the handoff and things like that. But I, I think obviously a lot of lessons were learned that day. And, and thankfully, uh, only one person was killed. I'm not, not to dis- any disrespect for, for Corporal Absolutely. Cirillo, but it could have been a lot. It could have been a lot worse. And it, and it wasn't. So, so Charles, as I said at the outset, we're, we're talking on a day where there's still a fairly significant presence in downtown Ottawa. I understand some of the trucks have gone now, but. We've heard about some boorish behavior by people urinating, let's say, on the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. There have been some harassment of passersby. Of course, you know, these people aren't wearing masks. They don't believe in vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. And yet here's the headline from the CBC a few minutes ago. As anti-vaccine mandate protest enters fifth day in Ottawa, some worry about how it may end. I know that police obviously are there in, in force, no pun intended. You've said, You've mentioned that there's a from other forces across the province are helping out the RCMP are there of course parliamentary precinct are there as well what is the the foremost thing in the mind of of chief slowly and his and his women and men right now on the front lines about how to bring this thing to a peaceful non-violent successful perhaps conclusion what is it that is 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 foremost in what you need to do and what you need more maybe more importantly not to do at this point well, I think, first of all, the uh, this is something that I have never seen in my career. And I think it's a first in Canada with respect to the size and scope of, of this type of demonstration. Just the, the volatility, the volatility isn't new, but the volatility associated with these demonstrators is, is, is there, is very present. They're very passionate and uh, committed to their cause. The, the message is, is being lost as to what they're actually there for. Uh, right. The number of trucks that have taken over the downtown core has never happened before. And, but you also have a number of, of reported uh, uh, ancillary incidents like hate crimes, assaults, intimidations mm-hmm. in the downtown core, uh, in the residential area. So it's, it has a quite a large impact on, on our city. Um, so I, I don't, I no longer consider this a protest anymore. I think it's, it's an occupation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's, that's a big challenge for, for the police service. The number one priority for the police service has been and will always be public safety, the right. safety of, of the public, the, the police officers and first responders, and as well, the demonstrators, they want to reduce and minimize any potential risk of injuries to any of those people. And their goal will always be to try and negotiate this to a successful conclusion. Uh, and I know there's a lot of uh, uh, people out there that are saying, well, just go in and arrest them all. Mm. History has shown us that that is not an effective solution and that the outcomes of that are not are not positive. Uh, the the At a, any inquest or public inquiry that, that may take place as a result of, of this uh, demonstration here, uh, the auto police service, one of the key things that they're going to be judged uh, around is is to what level of effort did they go to in trying to uh, de-escalate this uh, with the cooperation of the organizers and the demonstrators. Um, so that's not to say that there may be at a certain point in time uh, when the, the timing is right, the, the numbers are right, uh, that uh, Chief Stoli will have to uh, use an escalated level of, of effort 
to start removing trucks and to start removing uh, protesters uh, from uh, them occupying the downtown the downtown core. You know, you raise a really good point, and I understand that people are frustrated. Like I said, I don't live in Ottawa anymore, but if you're anywhere in the downtown, you can't get to work, you can't get to essential services, you can't do shopping or whatever because of the presence of some people. Let, let's face it, are you know, as I said, the, the, the behavior has been disgusting in some ways. Mm-hmm. And and people are saying, well, like you said, why don't you just arrest these people and, and we can end it? Um how do you respond to the criticisms then that the public will lev- leverage against the police? Like, you know, you didn't do enough uh, soon enough to, ha- that, to prevent these things from happening. You should have acted, you know, in more force at an earlier stage before it got to this point. I mean, what, what would be your response to those kinds of criticisms? I, I think uh, fair enough. However, just point to other events that have taken place in Canada and in, in across the world when the police have come in uh, with riot gear uh, right at the beginning. Uh, and uh, it hasn't gone well. Uh, when you're when you're using force, the risk of serious injuries, the demonstration, and the first responder, and 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 things going south when you're dealing with large crowds that are passionate, compa- uh, comp- committed around their cause, it's very high, and people will get hurt, and it will not look pretty, uh, and they will be criticized for doing that as well. So negotiating uh, their way uh, out of this uh, is the is uh, the cautious and the most prudent port, uh, approach. But there's no question that has an impact on the downtown core, the residents, the businesses, and, and all those uh, those areas. So there will be a point in time where where the chief will have to make that decision. And uh, he's got uh, a great team. He's got great advice advisors. And he's working with great uh, partners. And I'm sure that uh, if it comes to that, they'll make the right decision at the right time. I'm wondering if you're looking back now, you, you know, it's been almost three years since you uh, retired as chief of police in Ottawa. Do you feel frustrated? Is, is there a, a sense of damned if you do, damned if you don't? You, have, of course, have seen the whole defund the police movement in North America of late. Do, do you really, does it bother you sometimes that maybe the public doesn't understand the police perspective enough and i'm not saying of course there are officers that do things that they shouldn't do we all know that where they're human but do you sometimes feel that sort of the agenda is rigged against police officers in general north america or am i making too too much for generalization here you know i i feel uh what i feel bad for and frustrated for are the frontline officers uh the the men and women working the streets on a daily basis when you have all this um rhetoric that's taking place around uh, devaluing uh, the, uh, the work that they do uh, and uh, making statements without any uh, information or any facts uh, based on events that uh, may or may not have taken place. So that's, that's what I feel uh, bad for is, is the impact that it's having on, on the, the morale, the mental health, and the ability of, of the officers and the civilian members to do, to do their job. Um, and uh, so that that's frustrating, and I know that uh, in policing in Canada, from an accountability perspective and funding, uh, are facing um, unprecedented challenges. And police should be accountable. We should the police services should be uh, held accountable uh, for what they do and how they do it and how they spend the tax dollars. Uh, but it, it's uh, and and I think the, the discussion that's taking place is is a could be a healthy one, but. It's uh, it's it's happening in in a in an air of of divisiveness, which is not uh, which is not healthy. 
For what it's worth, Charles, I mean, I never served in law enforcement. I was just a lowly intelligence analyst in my career, but I, I certainly under, understand what you're saying. And I, as someone who did work with the OPP, the Ontario Provincial Police's anti-terrorism section for a little bit back in 2015, I, I do see the, the men and women who work in law enforcement and, and you know, they're, they're doing a job for us, the job that we ask them to do. And I think that there should be a, a better understanding, uh, you know, of, of the challenges that you folks face. So what does Charles Bordelow now do now that he's no longer chief of Ottawa police? Ah, so, uh, <laughs> primarily I'm enjoying life. I'm enjoying life. Like last year, I think I golfed 140 games oh my God. Uh, with, a, with a month off because of the pandemic. Uh, but uh, no, I'm enjoying life. I have, uh, I still volunteer uh, my time. I'm, I'm chair of the uh, Spe- Special Olympics uh, Board of Directors for, for Canada. I uh, locally here, I'm, I work with the Molfar Hospital Foundation, uh, the OSEG for the Ottawa Red Blacks uh, on their foundation uh, cabinet. And I also uh, volunteer with the TELUS Community Board. So I uh, keep myself busy from that perspective, uh, taking care of myself uh, uh, from a health and uh, health and uh, wellness perspective. Love uh, spending more time with my family. And I, I've dabbled into uh, uh, consultant work as well, but not something that's going to take over my life, but something that's going to keep me uh, uh, my feet uh, to the fire in, in public safety. Mm-hmm. Well, sir, good on you. And, you know, uh, on behalf of my listeners, thank you for your service to the, to the people of Ottawa and people of Canada. And thank you for joining me on the podcast today. My pleasure, Phil. And if I can say thank you very much for uh, what you've done uh, in the intelligence community and working with uh, uh, your partners in, in, in law enforcement and then your life after CSIS, because I, I've listened to you and watched you and uh, you always bring a, uh, an interesting perspective to, uh, to the discussion. So uh, good on you for doing that. So that was my conversation with former Ottawa Chief of Police Charles Bordelow about a variety of matters, including what's happening as we speak in the National Capital. What do you think of our conversation? You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at borealisaves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like the content and want to get more, go to the website, borealisthreatenrisk.com. Hit the subscribe button. You get a free daily digest of all the material, blogs, and podcasts. You also find a link to my latest book, The Peaceable Kingdom, A History of Terrorism in Canada from Confederation to the Present, available on the website or on Amazon Kindle. I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, stay safe. Mm-hmm.